The time is now. Volume 2, Episode 27, Happy Anniversary! Wow, what a day this is. February 1st, 2018, a big happy anniversary to all our crew here at Employment Law Now, all of you out there who are listening to me. One year ago today, on February 1st, 2017, I launched this podcast series, Employment Law Now, that has literally changed the world one episode at a time. 27 episodes later, I'm still having fun, still love doing this, and I still uh, very much appreciate all of you listening to me. One year ago today, my very first guest on my very first episode was Howard Schweitzer. Uh, who came on as we started this podcast series just a couple of weeks after the stunning inauguration of President Donald J. Trump. Howard is uh, and was the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor's Public Strategies Group. He also served in high-level political and executive appointments in the Bush, Clinton, and Obama administrations. So he's got to see all of this uh, political stuff firsthand, both on the Republican and the Democrat sides. Howard came on with us last year at this time to talk about what we might see out of a President Trump administration. One year to the day later, I have to ask, did he get it right? And what does he see for a Trump year two? Howard Schweitzer was gracious enough to uh, come back today on our first anniversary to talk politics and the current climate for employers. Howard, thank you so much for joining me today. Mike, thanks for having me. Do you know what you and Bill Murray have in common? I don't. Well, so David Letterman, one of my not favorite... Not our sense of humor. Definitely not your sense of humor. Um, David Letterman, one of my all-time favorites uh, in the pop culture world. Um, his very first guest, I believe, of all time was Bill Murray. Oh, right, right. And so every anniversary show, he would bring Bill Murray back. I think Bill Murray was back on his li- on his last show that uh, Letterman ever did. And so you are my Bill Murray, in a sense. Wow, I'm honored. Well, the being sarcastic, but that's okay. No, I am. I literally just grabbed you and pulled you into the office to uh, to do this. Um, one year ago today, on February 1st, 2017, I started this podcast that has changed the world, um, and you were my very first inaugural guest, and I'm happy to have you one year later back as my guest today. Well, thanks for having me back. It's fun. You've been doing it great job with it and uh you haven't even listened to one have you look forward to your questions yeah thank you um and it's and it's really fascinating because aside from uh you being so great at what you do and 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 great to talk to about these kinds of things 
I do find this topic extremely fascinating because when we did speak uh, one year ago, uh, President Trump had just come into office and it was very much a, well, we're going to have to wait and see and let's prognosticate and let's figure out what it's going to mean for business and for people and for the country. And, you know, I don't know how much... Um, less prognosticating we have to do now, but we do have a year under our belt, and I think there are some things that have been answered to some extent. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, look, there, the Trump administration, kind of, and he in particular, does breed a certain amount of uncertainty. Washington is different than it has been historically. It's, it is less predictable as we knew it would be. But... Um, there are some pretty clear trends. Less regulation is a clear trend. It is a clear priority. It's real. And in our government relations group, Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, we've been involved in a number of discussions with the administration and on Capitol Hill about burdensome regulation and, and scaling it back. And they, you know, it's interesting to me, they've gone, they, they've had a very common sense approach. Yes, in general, less regulation, but the pendulum doesn't swing as far in the other direction as the general public would believe. They've been very thoughtful and considered about that kind of thing, and and they've done some good work that saved jobs and um, really had an impact. So, I mean, look, it's unpredictable, but there's, there's some good stuff going on. Obviously, the tax bill was uh, a very big deal for corporate America, and we can talk more about that later. Um, but it's an interesting time for sure. Oh, absolutely. And and so before I get into some of those trends that I uh, really want to get your thoughts on, remind us a little bit about your practice here at uh, Cozen O'Connor and the kinds of things you do in the political and the public policy space. Well, we help our clients navigate through the maze of policy, politics, and process, which are the three P's that guide decision-making, not just in Washington, but in Albany and New York City and Harrisburg and Philadelphia and points in between and, and around the country as well. And what we do is help them navigate through that maze, get something done with government that they need to get done or keep something from getting done in government that they don't want to see done. And um, we've got a great practice, federal, state, and local, and we really enjoy what we do. And as, to be fair, I guess, since you're kind enough to come on this podcast, you're also involved in your own regular podcast series? Might we well are the plug out of the, the way. A plug, the Beltway Briefing. It's um, will ramp up over the course of this year, given that 2018 is a big election year, and um, we've done them. Uh, we did them regularly throughout the last election cycle, and do them about monthly now. And how do people find it if they want to uh, get some more political insight from that podcast? You can go on to uh, Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies dot com, dot com, or look for the Beltway Briefing on um, iTunes. Or SoundCloud. That's great. Um, so you touched on this just a couple of minutes ago, but uh, I, I want to get your take on uh, this from a very general, broad perspective. Um, how do you think is Trump year one? Do you think it has turned out to be what people expected from an employer business perspective? I do. In it's, what way? Um, well, clearly they're focused. Again, I'll go back to the regulatory point. Focused on scaling back some of the things that were done in the last administration that they think are, um, are are unhelpful from an economic from an overall economic perspective uh, like joint employer for example 
um, was scaled back by the NLRB. Um, and, and you know, the, the idea is that's a net positive for, for business. Um, you know, at the same time, my view has been and continues to be that they're not as and they're not as pro big guy and anti little guy as they're made to seem. Uh, look, he got elected on a populist wave. He got elected on a wave of support from, um, you know, more blue collar workers, and he's not he's not abandoning them in favor of corporate America to the extent that um, it, it's presented to look like. So, look, there's a lot bad to say about this administration there are also some good things to say and I think they're I think they are more fair and balanced than they're given credit for but they're very focused on cutting regs and in this area as well where they can yeah and and we could spend a whole nother podcast episode just talking about the media in terms of uh, you know how things are reported and, and what gets reported uh, it's a whole different thing um, so President Trump just gave his State of the Union address a couple of days ago. Did anything jump out at you from that? Uh, continuation of focus on on infrastructure. I think we're going to see a big push this year on um, infrastructure. Uh, it's on the economy. and it, it didn't surprise me, but he wants to create economic growth in this country. It's kind of, to me, his signature... Um, policy signature um, issue from a in terms of his administration and he's going to stay focused on it and and he's got a pretty good story to tell yeah and, and i think the issue in terms of growing the economy is something that that most everybody agrees on but it's just how you get there where you find in the disagreement right and how you get there how fast you get there um, what you do to get there, yeah. And I think so many people are surprised because all they hear about is Republican president in the White House, Republican-controlled Congress, yeah. and people still have this perception um, that not a lot has gotten done or not as much has gotten done as could be when both uh, parts of the government are controlled by the same party. Is that a perception thing? Is that is there some truth to that? W what's going on in D.C.? Well... I mean, look, more could be getting done in Washington. We can argue whether it's a good thing that not as much is getting done or a bad thing. Um, I think in, in some respects, the single party rule, so to speak, um, is, is harmful to kind of to your, to your question. From a balanced standpoint? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, the whole system is oriented around preventing the tyranny of the majority. Right. And... I think when, when you've got one party that has a lot of power, um, it, I think there are a number of examples in Washington, in, in Congress, and between Congress and the White House of them kind of feeding on themselves and even amongst themselves getting in the way, yeah, they're getting in their own way on some level. Well, so many of my episodes on this podcast uh, attempt to address the reality that so many companies out there are multi-jurisdictional, and so they can't just focus, whether good or bad, yeah. on what's happening on the federal side, um, because they're so heavily impacted uh, by what we're seeing the different states and the different local municipalities do with employment-type issues. What have you seen in the first year um, that's been the biggest impact of Trump year one on state and local politics? 
I think the fact that state and local level, I mean, look, the, the most recent election, the November election, the Republicans pretty much got, got trounced at the state and local level. Um, the election of the governor in Virginia was a really big deal. And on, and on the hyper-local level, like school board elections and things like that, the Republicans really took, took a shellacking. Um, and, and so I think you know, some of that is a get-out-the-vote kind of thing. It's not so much a policy. It's not so much a, I don't think it's so much a, poli- a reaction on policy. I think it's a reaction to Trump a nationalization of the electorate and if that doesn't get turned around in the next few months there's going to be a bloodbath hmm. at the higher level at the federal level in uh, in, Nove- in this November do you think that's really a trump factor as much as it is sort of the, the the way these things work when you've got one party in the white house typically if if not everybody's happy then you know the other side rises up and and the one the incumbent yeah. sort of loses in the state and local of the midterm elections yeah. i mean it's it's a great question and yes i mean some of it is just the natural order of the universe but um he is clearly he's unpopular his approval ratings are very low and I think a lot of this is mobilization. It's all about getting out the vote. And it's mobilization of people that are fired up to go to the polls and vote for their school board representative because they don't like what they see at the very top of the food chain. And that's real. It is, it is real. It's happening. And it has the potential, it will over time, if it continues, have a huge impact on policy. And, and look, in your space, in the labor and employment space, yes, Washington has an impact, big impact, but so much is driven by things at the, at the local level, things at the state level. Some of the biggest issues that I've seen facing our clients are things like um, $15 an hour minimum wage, predictive scheduling, some of those things that are coming out of the city councils around the country that are really harmful to um, employers in terms of the economics of managing their business, it starts down there. It doesn't come from Washington. Such a great point. I mean, people focus so much on what President Trump's doing and what's happening in Washington, and, you know, they seem to forget uh, that so much of what's impacting their businesses from a regulatory standpoint, certainly, right. is really on the state and local level. I say right. that now for companies in New York, and in particular New York City, right. um, but it's so true elsewhere around the country. Don't get all excited, I guess, if you're a business and you're seeing all this more pro-employer stuff coming out of Washington. In New York, you've got the Democratic governor, the Democratic uh, mayor, the Democrat-led New York City Council. Right. So what's not being done from a, uh, an employee initiative standpoint uh, on the federal level is being done on these state yeah. and local levels, and that's really what's impacting the day-to-day operation of your business. Yeah, go to, go to L.A., go to New York, go to Seattle, um, go to San Francisco. I mean, that's where a lot of this sausage gets made, not necessarily in Washington, and that's why in our business we emphasize not just D.C., but New York City, New York State, Philadelphia, Harrisburg, some of the you know other places. As you know, we added 
um, one of the largest uh, lobbying practices here in New York City late last year. And a fair amount of their work is, is this kind of this kind of stuff, and it's it's really impactful. And, and those employ, I think they're the perception out there is, well, I've got to be engaged in D.C. I've got to know my senators and representatives, and I got to be able to talk to the White House. And that's what I mostly do. So I'm thrilled that people think that. <laughs> but you've, you've to your point, you've really got to be focused down there at the at the local level so much gets done and you can really impact things if you're engaged yeah and you name a couple of uh, real hot issues that we've talked about on some prior episodes and you know everybody likes to talk about the overtime and the joint employer and i'll I'll get to both of those briefly but the things like the minimum wage whether it's fast food industry or whether it's industries generally the predictive scheduling the paid family leaves all of those things that we're seeing come up that's really what's impacting very quickly uh, and substantially businesses across yep. the country. Yep. How much of your practice when you're talking about um, uh, counseling and advising clients in the world of public policy, strategy, and and, uh, and the like, how much of it has been focused more on the local and state politics than it has been what's going on in Washington? Well, a fair amount. I mean, we have a significant state and local practice, like I said, and um, and it's not, you know, look, all politics is local in any event. True. Everybody in D.C. comes from somewhere. And uh, there, may have, there may be a nationalization of politics from a voting perspective. But the point is, um, you got to focus on where people come from, what moves the needle back home. And, and we try to connect with people on even if it's with our DC practice on that very local level, which is why we have these state and local practices, they're enormously valuable. They're a differentiator for us. Not, you know, most firms are just DC or just state or local. We're, we're not everywhere, but, but those places where we are, we like to be able to pursue things at all levels. That's great. So I, I want to touch on uh, a few specifics um, and get your thoughts on them. There's always that lingering employment law issue out there every year, one that seems to carry over from year to year. Um, we're expecting now to, to mention one. Uh, we're expecting that the class action waiver issue is going to be addressed by the Supreme Court before this current term ends. Um, but the Department of Labor's attempts to change the rules on overtime exemptions continues to hang out there. Mm-hmm. We've got the uh, the appeal and, and the somewhat strange um, arguments that the current Trump DOL is taking. Um, any thoughts on what DC may be looking to do at this point in 2018 when it comes to the overtime exemptions? Well, my view has been, I guess there, there have been questions about whether they will go back to the old standard, mm-hmm. um, which I do not believe they will, or find a middle ground. And I've always said they're going to find some sort of a middle ground. It goes back to my populism point from earlier. These are, you're talking about paying the wages of the people that got you elected. And whether you're talking about it in this context or something like consumer protection, which is a very hot topic in Washington, the administration is not blind to the fact that they need to take care of the people that got them into office. So... Are they going to make it more employer friendly? Yes. Are they going to completely, um, you know, undercut 
their constituents? No, they're not. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think from the salary threshold standpoint, I think we're all expecting there to be some middle ground, yeah. whether it's in the 30s, you right. know, somewhere around Something. there, uh, not completely uh, making the employers happy, not completely making the employees right. happy, somewhere in the middle recognizing right. that things are just not what they were. Um, certainly back in 2004 when this stuff uh, first was uh, was amended for the first time and even earlier for most of the uh, the wage and hour regs, um, the interesting question is going to be whether they do anything ultimately with the job duties portion of this. And, and going back to the salary aspect, do we have a unit? uniform salary threshold? Do we differentiate based on region of the country right. or industry? I think those are the fascinating questions to see if they do anything in those areas. Yeah, and, and look, I, what I would say on that is, without getting into the details of the specific issues, is my experience with the administration at the agency level. You know, the White House is one thing. The agencies are altogether different. Are they perfect? No, they're, they weren't perfect in the Obama administration. Mm -hmm or the Bush administration, both of which I worked in, and they're not perfect in this administration, but they are better than people think they are, and they, they are, as I've said a couple of times now on this, um, in, in this discussion, they're, they are, um, they're, to my eye and ear, very thoughtful, and um, they're not just gutting things, they're trying to find a middle ground where it makes sense for them to have, to have a middle ground. It's interesting you say that, and, and you're right. I mean, you were in that world for a good uh, part of your career, and the perception, and, and look, I've addressed it directly. We've had the NLRB general counsel, Dick Griffin, on here. had the former EEOC general counsel, uh, David Lopez, on here. And I've asked them the question, how do they address the perception that is out there that these agencies are very activist, very pro-employee? Mm -hmm. And I think the perception out there, particularly with businesses, is that you have, whether lifers in these agencies or otherwise, yeah. but they're out there just to screw the company or hurt big business. And I don't know that people look at the folks staffing these agencies as you just described them, as being thoughtful, as being try to f trying to find middle ground from a policy standpoint. Well, there are two different categories of employees in the agencies. And since I've held jobs in both of the categories, <laughs> I'm qualified speak to, to speak to the mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have your career types, and then you have your political appointees. Mm -hmm. And you have the bureaucracy and you have the political level. And the bureaucracy is, you know, they, they can be difficult to communicate with, um, but they'll listen. And, yeah, I mean, no, they're not out to screw, just to screw the employers. Um, uh, but they, what, they, what they work toward is the preservation of the status quo because career government employees don't get paid to take risk. <coughs> they don't get a dollar more for making, for sticking their neck out on something than they do if they don't. Aren't they the ones, though, more in control of the policies and, and the initiatives? Uh, it depends. It depends who's in office and mm -hmm. what the priorities are and what the issue is. The, the more visible an issue is, the less control they have. They always matter, but you know, I mean, the political level matters a lot. And on the big policy issues, on something like the overtime rule, mm -hmm. um, you know that that's going to be driven by the by the political level. You have to work both sides. You have to go bottom up and sometimes top down. You have to be thoughtful about timing in terms of when you do those. That's a lot of the art of what I do each and every day. Um, but I, but 
you know, so you've got the careers and you can engage with them. You can talk to them. They're not, you have to understand their orientation, which is being risk averse. The political level, they come in with policy priorities. Um, but this administration, again, they're not as, they're not, and the, the many matters I've engaged with the administration on, they, the pendulum just doesn't swing as far to the other direction as I'm sure the perception is out there that it that it does. What they do have is an open door. They're willing to listen, and then they're going to make a decision. And when they make a decision, like every other administration, they talk to the bureaucracy, they talk to the, that career level, they get some political cover from the career level, and depending on the issue, I mean, some is more some are more extreme than others, but they make a thoughtful judgment about what is in the net best interest of of the country. And so, a related thing, and I don't know if this is something that you and I have ever spoken about, but it's a it's a fascinating question to me, and I've I've asked this question of other people uh, on this podcast also. Um, you know, you talk about the career folks in these agencies. Uh, you talk about political appointees. One of the things that we do as lawyers, whether you are in-house counsel or outside counsel, mm -hmm. is you have to be able to advise clients, counsel clients, about their behavior and the consequences based on precedent. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's the nature of our business. The question that I have always had is when you and you and we're really seeing this 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 uh, very clearly now with the dialing back of Obama regulations and the like and uh, changing the standards um, that have been in existence during the Obama administration. When you go every four years or every eight years at most and you're going back and forth, Republican, Democrat, and we're dialing it back and then four years or eight years from now we're going to have more regulation again and maybe we go back. Is, is that a good thing from a, from a policy, from a conceptual standpoint? Does it, does it make a is it bad for us to be unable to counsel and advise or uh, or establish our behavior based on precedent when that precedent is effectively changing every four or eight years? It's a great question. I don't even know if that was a question. That was more of a rambling I, I mean, platform comment. I mean, I think it's a question because it, but it is what it is. Like it's not changing. We do swing back and forth. What I'll say though is, and I guess this is kind of my theme doesn't change as much as people think it does mm -hmm. and yes you've got a guy in the White House who goes on Twitter every 17 seconds and sends out stupid tweets and gets everybody all riled up and, and that's really him tweeting he doesn't have somebody tweeting for him right sometimes that's what he, he does he does have people tweeting for him but most of it is really him and goes on TV I mean he's unorthodox and unpredictable and there are lots of adjectives, lots of people used to, to describe him. Some are really good and some are really not good. And But that's what people see. That's what people see. That's what gets reported. That's what people read about. And there's all sorts of other stuff happening below that level that people don't see. And that which is happening below that level, it just doesn't change as much as people think it does. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are things... Yes, there's less regulation now than there was what, uh, a year ago when we first did this podcast. Yeah, and you won't have the NLRB, you know, possibly coming after all these companies for, you know, X statements in their employee manuals. So right. you, you, you're going to have uh, those kinds of issues right. uh, taken off the table. But in some cases, 
this is a reversion to what has been more the norm under Republican and Democratic administrations that maybe I know some of my clients who are big employers feel like it was really the Obama administration that threw some of it um, out of whack. So maybe it's Obama that was out of step with um, the trends and the precedent as opposed to Trump going back to the way things have been. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. So I want to do a little bit of a lightning round on a couple of other issues and get your perspective. This is uh, so great to have you. Um, and uh, as we keep doing this, I look forward to more anniversaries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Bill Murray. To, <laughs> you, yeah, you are my Bill Murray, for good or for bad. Um, so tax reform. Uh, we obviously know about tax reform. We're reading, hearing, tweeting all about tax reform. Um, we've talked about some significant aspects of the tax reform on employers. What's been the temperature that you've been taking with clients on tax reform and how it might be really impacting their workplace? So there's a huge TBD around tax reform because there are issues. People are just now going down to the detail level and seeing things where it's there are unintended consequences or and TBD to be determined. I don't like using legal I don't like using the legal lingo on the podcast. Sorry. Okay. Um and, and things that were hidden in the bill that um are significant. I heard something yesterday about something related to confidentiality and employer-employee settlements, for example. I just spent the last episode, I spent about 15 minutes, uh, uh, episode 26. Uh, volume 2, episode 26, I spent about 15, 20 minutes talking about that, the, what's okay. referred to as the Harvey Weinstein provision about the uh, inability to deduct, as a business expense, settlement right. payments in sexual harassment cases if there's a confidentiality provision. Yeah. People didn't know about that. Right, so there are thousands and thousands and thousands of things like that hiding in this bill. They haven't and even come out yet. That haven't even come out yet. And and then that's before you get to kind of the hidden tax consequences and how everything plays itself out from a financial point of view. But, but, what I am hearing is that um, the reduction of the corporate tax rate is real that our clients and we have clients that are we have lots of clients that are multinational corporations and they invest all over the world they are because of this bill and there's a lot about this bill that I don't like so I don't want to sound like uh, uh, like I'm um, like it's all roses on this bill but I'm just telling you what we're hearing from our clients is they, as a result of this bill, are actively looking at making significant investments here in the United States that they wouldn't have otherwise made. Interesting. And we're seeing some of that in the news reports in terms of employee pay. All these companies yeah. are coming out saying, we're going to be giving bonuses. Uh, the most recent one, uh, just saw yesterday, I think, we're going to give bonuses, a $1,000 bonus to every one of our hourly workers. So you're starting to hear a little bit about that. I'm not sure whether it's just you know the three or four largest companies that are doing this, and whether you know you're going to see that kind of change in everything from mom and pop shop all the way up. Right. But it's interesting that that you were hearing those kinds of things in the like, investment side. I'm surprised we're hearing it already. Already, I mean it's mm -hmm. it is palpable, and that's obviously a great thing from a long-term economic perspective in terms of the, the U.S. economy. 
from tax reform to immigration reform, keeping the lightning round going. Um, you have any uh, thoughts on uh, immigration reform, which is taking up a lot of the news now, and what uh, what clients or companies are saying about that? Here's my thought: tax reform and immigration reform. To my last answer to your question, and I'm not sure I'm going at lightning speed, but <laughs> they're 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 related, and I'll tell you how. If companies are investing more in the United States, building more factories here, guess what they need more of? More people doing. They need more workers. Yeah. Without immigration reform, there aren't going to be more workers. So it's tied there together. Is a, yeah, it's tied yeah. together. There is the economic. There's going to be the economic necessity for immigration reform, and this is this is real. And I think that that eventually. Look, there are some real hardliners. By the way, I don't. I think the president. I think Trump is. He's a hardliner, but not when you get down to the need for, not when you get down to the economic necessity. And I think that one of the net impacts of more investment in the U.S. is, again, the need for more workers, which means um, more common sense, um, accessible immigration. Any prognostication on how long and, and how big a battle it's going to be before we see uh, an end game on the immigration side. It's. I think it's going to come fairly quickly because, um, look, the you know the whole shutdown recently um, that lasted less than three days, but happened was about immigration, and and yes, I guess the Republicans won. I don't fully understand that from a political point of view or necessarily agree with it, but that the Democrats caved. Um, but this issue isn't going away, and there is momentum on both sides of the aisle around around resolving it. You got to deal with the the hardliners, um, people like Steve King and and people like that in Congress that are like as anti-immigration as 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 you'll find. But look, sometimes it's a person like a Trump who took a kind of hardline political stance on immigration but that understands the business need which he does I mean you can say what you want about his decision making and tweeting and and some of his policies but he understands the business necessity and he's not he knows we need he knows we need people to get the job done so I, I think, so you think that'll happen fast. I mean, you think twenty eighteen will be certainly the year that we I see do. some significant uh, immigration reform. I do. I do. Okay. And then the last uh, lightning round concept uh, we touched on it very briefly at the beginning of this discussion. Joint employer. Um, we're seeing all kinds of things. The NLRB is uh, dialing things back in the yeah. joint employer side. Um, what's what's your sense on what's going on there? Well, first of all, it's one of the hottest. It has been one of the hottest issues in Washington from an employer perspective. Why is that? Because you've got so many businesses that are focused on, I think two reasons. One, so many businesses are impacted, not just, um, you, know, you have the whole franchise or franchisee community, for example, that's highly exercised about joint employer. Um, and um, you've got, and, and you've got the precedent. There was long-established, long-held precedent around this issue that the last administration changed, and so I think I think it's that combination. 
And so where do you see that going? I mean, well, the NLRB has scaled back um, the Obama administration interpretation, but there's still a desire among Republicans in Congress to, to legislate on the issue. It's not going to get done because Democrats in the Senate aren't going to pass a bill, in my judgment, even though there are some Democrats that are in favor of uh, the Republican approach to this issue. I just, it's not something that I think gets passed legislatively, but they'll keep it out there to keep the pressure on and keep it highlighted. So we'll hear a lot of noise about that in 2018, but not necessarily some definitive end game on that issue. I, I think what we'll see is a reversion to the mean. It's a reversion to the pre-Obama joint employer standard. And, and that's, I think we're already, we've already seen that begin and I think that will continue. So uh, last question I have for you. Uh, last year, again, one year to the day, I, I asked you about the likely impact uh, on proactive federal agencies like the NLRB, like the Department of Labor, um, and we've now seen a dialing back, as we've talked about uh, today, a dialing back of Obama administrative uh, regulations in many areas. Overall, what's your sense of what employers can now expect in Trump year two? What, what do you think uh, we're going to be talking about when you and I reconvene here next February? More of the same um, if, from a thematic perspective, but a, a focus on, um, look, as administrations get their sea legs, um, you know, the first year is a, is a big year and there's a lot coming at them. And things like a, a joint employer or an overtime rule that were at the top of everybody's agenda, not everybody, but many people's agenda in Washington, they're coming at them on things like that. Um, agents, you know, the people settle in um, and it things, I hate to say it, but they revert to more normalcy. This is not going to be, this is never going to be a normal Washington in this administration. <laughs> right. It's not, but... Um, less radical change in in year two, but a general continuation of the pro more pro employer theme. I hate to fast forward to the next election cycle uh, because I think many people think that that each election cycle has been going on way too long as it is, and we're, we are only one year into this. Um, but prognosticating again, you see any challenges from within the Republican Party to Trump in the next election? I think uh, Kasich. Is planning to run, really? from what I hear, in his own mind anyway. I've talked to some people that are close to him, and they say he, he's he's planning to run. He's it depends what happens this year. I think in it depends what happens in 2018. There's a real chance that Democrats can take the House of Representatives, more of a chance than that they can take the Senate. If they take uh, one or both houses of Congress... It's, it's a total game changer, and I think there's going to be a real reevaluation amongst Republicans of um, 2020 and what, what this all means. Which is fascinating because you very rarely, if ever, have an incumbent first-term president face any kind of challenge from within his own party. Yeah, you very rarely have, as in never. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Have a guy... Uh, like this as president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's true too. So I guess all bets are off in all terms of uh, trying to predict based on history. It all bets. I think it's not that all bets are off, but it's just I think we can expect some of the unexpected. And that's a good way I think to end today. Uh, I was fascinated 
by the look forward last year. Um, this We've got a year under our belt, and I'm going to be uh, equally excited on our next anniversary uh, next year, February of 2019, to uh, look at the first half of the first term and see if anything's changed. Um, but Howard Schweitzer, uh, my esteemed colleague here at Cozen O'Connor, thank you for sharing this anniversary with me. Thanks, Mike. And I uh, appreciate you coming on. Thanks, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, I am just so excited. These anniversaries uh, really get me going, uh, make me all happy. Uh, we're one year in, and I can't wait to speak to Howard again on our second anniversary special this time next year. So thank you, as always, again for listening. Keep the comments coming, uh, and until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.